where we face off in a bracket style debate to find out who is the most villainous of them all uh welcome folks we're excited to have you this week they have quite the exciting face off um so without further ado i'm going to introduce our two defenders of the week first we have filmmaker and political activist defending jafar from aladdin we have cody olsen cody welcome hello hi Hi, welcome to uh, welcome to the the show. We're glad. Yeah, yeah, talking about some villains. I'm excited to to rep Jafar. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm always excited to talk about anything related to Aladdin, and this will be interesting to focus it in on the villainous aspects of Jafar. Love it. Love to see it. Love to hear it. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we have writer, teacher of your children, Godzilla expert, and defending Maleficent this week. We have Ian Coleman. Ian, welcome to the show. You uh, you, you forgot to you forgot to introduce me as uh, Ian Coleman and all the powers of hell because that's what I'm bringing to this. Right, show. for sure. Right, right, yeah. right. That's on me. Yeah. You know yeah. what? <laughs> I'll take that one. That one's on me. Yep. Um, so a uh, show works like this. We're going to talk through the different uh, pieces of the rubric of evil. I am the be all end all decider uh, who assigns the final grades. So uh, fear me as we do this yeah. week. Um, we're going to talk through each piece of these villains. So let's just jump right into it, uh, which leads us off with design. We're going to talk about the colors, the aesthetic, the accessories visual villainy here folks anything goes uh who would like to start us off uh i'll start us off um so i guess her her kind of primary color scheme is uh so we've got we've got black with little hints of purple with uh little hints of kind of lime slash vomit green and a little bit of yellow for her staff just kind of like either sickly colors or colors associated with uh, darkness or evil or her color scheme is pretty well put together um yeah and as uh as far as her design goes it's uh, instantly iconic and impeccable um she's got this really bitchin robe that kind of conjures up the image of flames in just the little uh tattered edges she's got oh, yeah. uh, she's got those satan horns it, it sort of seems like the the horns are like it's like her <clears throat> her face is sort of like an outgrowth of like the horns on her head. So yeah, she basically um she looks like Satan and <clears throat> her body is kind of um arranged in the shape of hellfire and she basically just kind of conjures up this image of like sickliness and demonicness and pure evil. Yeah, I always thought it was funny because like those three good fairies are also fairies and Maleficent is technically also like a fairy too. Right. But they're all like plump and little and cute. And she's just like stick thin and tall and terrifying and sharp cheekbones. Yeah. It's like, it's like a perfect study in just contrasting visual design. And yeah, just Mm. there's that, there's, there's always like that classic, you know, um, angles are evil and like round shapes are good. And I think mm. 
she's basically all angles. Like there's really like not an angle on any corner of her body. Like there's yeah, angles kind of poking out through her robe when she's walking. There's angles on her sleeves. Her she's got that she's got that angular chin. She's got those horns. She's got those angular cuffs. Yeah, she's all angles everywhere. She's all angles all the way down, ladies. Yeah, all the way down. Uh, excellent. Uh, Cody, talk to me about Jafar's iconic look. So let me get into old, tall, dark, and ugly. As, oh my. as referred to by the genie in the movie. Um, you know, Jafar is the vizier to the sultan, and, and as such, he's got some pretty good dudes. You know, he's got he's got some good threads that he's going on. Overarching black scheme, I think in that regard, him and Maleficent might, you know, have some agreement there. But instead of some green flavor, he's got red flavor kind of kind of speckled in there. And he's also got Iago, which, you know, I, I think we can get into a conversation about does do their sort of counterparts, do their like villainous sidekicks count? But I, I kind of feel like Jafar and Iago come as a uh, as a pair. And, you know, so Iago mm -hmm. kind of brings some red. He helps lighten it, lighten it up as well. He's got some blue. Um, Jafar also not to be outdone in terms of magical prowess or ability to cast a spell and get some Tom Fury gone. He's got his snake staff that he's been low-key using to manipulate the Sultan. Um, and look, it's an evil weapon. I'm not saying somebody should have it, but I am saying if somebody does have it, it looks fly as hell. And it does he, look fly as hell. he rocks it, you know what I mean? He, he wields it. it. It feels like it's heavy too. I like the sound design with it when he puts it down. It's like yeah, that's some that's got some weight to it. So, what's yeah. just now occurring to me is that in this face-off, we have two villains with some spicy headwear, a delicious little staff, and a happy little bird sidekick. Like, I mean, one for one, they're about the same. So, what? kind of sticks out between each villain like why should i feel more afraid of maleficent or jafar or vice versa you know uh because she looks like the devil i think like <laughs> just from a pure visual standpoint she just that is the image that she's meant to conjure up she's got the horns she's got the sharp angles um you can even just kind of see it in like her sauntering walk like everything about her just like radiates like um pure evil but also unflappable confidence like she, mm. never, she never really has a need like every time she's like walking she's either like moving slowly or she's teleporting like she's she's never in a hurry to get anywhere because you just get the sense that she's always just confident that she's gonna succeed in whatever she's trying to pull off like yeah she's patient and i think that that's that's one of the things that really sets her apart from other disney villains is that she's like yeah, and I'll probably talk about this a little bit later in more detail when we get to her motivations. But yeah, she's not really, she's she's scarier, but she's also probably the least ambitious. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah. All right. I feel like I've heard enough to make my ruling on this case. Um, I love maleficent's devil horn thing going on like and everything like when she sweeps her robes up and there's lightning and thunder and like she's got some sick eyeliner going on like everything about this queen is like i'm afraid of it 
but I'm also like, I kind of want to get to know her, you know, like what's your story queen. So I'm going to give her a solid nine out of 10. I agree. I think the devil visual elements like totally frighten me in the best possible way. I think I'm going to give Jafar, I think he's going to get an eight out of 10. That's a solid eight out of 10 for me. I feel like like he could do more, you know, like he could be more angular. He sort of does the mixed things. He's got that weird goatee, you know, I, I have questions about that, but I, I think that's a solid, I think it's a respectable eight out of 10. Yeah. I mean, I'll, you know, I'll just say two things. One, you know, sure. you're, you're, you're hitting on the goatee and, and you got the goatee guy right there on the Google meet. So I just, you know, careful, uh, careful with them words. Uh, his yeah i mean i'm not ian coleman's goatee however does not meet in a weird swirl that makes me feel very uncomfortable you know but what if it did you know what if it did? Here's, here's the thing here's here's the thing you know with, with the ruling some some villains are workhorses some villains are show horses and uh, hey. and that's all right that's all right jafar is he's getting up early he's doing his evil deeds he's like i'm gonna look good i don't need to look great so yeah that's yeah. fair that's fair Yes. Well, maybe he can win back a little bit of ground here when we start talking about powers. Uh, so let's talk about the abilities of these two magical monsters. You know, what can they do? Are their powers magical, political, influential? How are they backing up those threats? Uh, and let's start off this one with Cody. Why don't you talk us through Jafar's power? Yeah, so Jafar's spinning a couple proverbial plates here. Before we even get into his powers, he's a trusted political advisor. How he became trusted, you know, I don't know, but that's what makes it more impressive. He is so clearly a evil, wicked man, and yet the the rotund uh, sultan is like, hey, you know what? He seemed pretty all right. Maybe you marry my daughter. So, I like his vibe. You know, ingrained himself in the corridors of power. That's pretty great. He has the staff, the staff, and that staff allows him to control the sultan. That's you know, if you had somebody who could uh, hypnotize like the president of the right. United States, that would be that would be horrifying. Bad uh, news for us and Joe Biden. But, but yeah, <laughs> watch out, Joe. Um, but you know, and and I think I I can hold off on this, but I think the interesting thing with him is he gains more power as the film goes along. You know, mm. he, he achieves his goal of of getting the lamp, um, and with that. He becomes the most powerful sorcerer in the land. And first, sorry, first he becomes Sultan for like five mm-hmm. minutes. Then he levels up to the most powerful sorcerer. Then he finally becomes a genie. That one has some rough blowback, but like, uh, you know, still still in theory, very, very powerful. A lot of power. A lot of, lot of power in that spindly frame. Totally. I love it. Excellent. Uh, counterpoints from Maleficent. Talk to me about her magic. And her uh, yeah. So I, I would say my biggest counterpoint to that would be Maleficent has basically infinite power and can do anything with no uh, no drawbacks. Um, she wields the staff. It's not really clear how much of her powers stem from like the staff or like if they're kind of a part of her and she's just sort of channeling through them, channeling her powers through that. But she really, uh, the laws of physics really just kind of are irrelevant to her. Like she <laughs> spawn matter, like physical, tangible matter out of absolutely nothing. She can conjure up a, um, uh, a spindle, a fatal spindle that kills in one prick. 
out of nothing. Mm. She conjures a forest of thorns out of nothing. She can create storms. She can uh, create lightning. She can teleport from one location to another instantly. She can um, scare people off with green fire. Like, really, there doesn't seem to be... The, the only limit to what she can do, really, is her imagination. Like, she can do basically whatever the hell she wants. My question has always been, like, what an inconvenient way to, like, murder somebody is to be, like, everybody go to sleep, like, with this little... Because, like, right, like, Aurora just needed the true love's kiss to wake her up, right? Well, so so what's what's important to distinguish is that so there was the original curse that Maleficent cast where um, Aurora will die when she pricks her finger um, because mm. Meriwether, one of the kind of the derpy good fairy, had one gift left to give. She mm. that gift to kind of mitigate the effects of the curse so that Aurora would go to sleep when her finger was pricked. And actually, it was the the three good fairies who cast the sleeping spell so that right. they they wouldn't feel sad and despair over the the loss of their beloved princess. Um, so yeah, the the sleeping stuff, while often attributed to Maleficent, is actually the work of the three good fairies. We got we got some magical magical friends this episode. I tell you what, this yeah. is a different vibe than when you're dealing with people like Cruella Deville or like Clayton or something. <laughs> it's harder to score this one, but I'm ready to make my ruling. Um, I think Jafar kind of packs the one-two punch with political and magical powers. And, uh, I mean, Cody is right. Like, technically, he's got phenomenal cosmic power. So I think I got to give it up with a 9 out of 10 for that one. Um, And with Maleficent, I think that she has the power, but I just almost wish, like, you know, like, thorns, like, queen i'll go through some thorns i don't mind like i feel like she could have gone farther with her ability those are some pretty thick-ass thorns though like any normal person impaled (laughs) but i've been you know i've been through a prickle bush in my day still walking still smiling i'm gonna give her an eight out of ten i feel like she she gets a solid b on that i think uh excited for this next one here let's talk about hench people who are they? Are they useful, powerful, or just convenient? And how many hench people do they have? Let's talk through how it adds to their villain's impact. And I see that Ian has brought a prop for this section. Folks, I wish you could see it. He has perched his own Diablo right on his shoulder. Yep, this is Diablo, my dear familiar. <laughs> so talk to me about Maleficent's hench people, Ian. Yeah. So um, Maleficent is, uh, so she's, she's kind of got like two layers of hench people. So there's, there's her, her pet slash uh, familiar Raven Diablo, who kind of serves mm-hmm. as her, um, <clears throat> her eyes and ears. Like he's sort of able to get into those nooks and crannies where um, she can't necessarily get to conveniently. Well, I mean, she probably could teleport there if she wanted to, but in all honesty, it's just kind of easier to send your flying familiar to do your dirty work for you than to do it yourself. So she sends sends him out to run errands like, uh, you know, scouting the forest for the hidden princess. And Diablo also kind of does the work of, you know, he, he's the one who notices the three good fairies kind of hiding in the nook. So he's basically like, he's sort of her, her ace in the hole. Like if there's mm-hmm. never something that escapes her notice for whatever reason, he's always the first one to spot it. He finds the location of Aurora. He finds out where the good guys are hiding, basically. 
Um, he's sort of the reason that Maleficent is always able to kind of, until the end, stay one step ahead of the heroes. It's because she's got that, she's got her trusty eyes and ears and and wings and um, and wings. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's also um, she is also rules over a uh, kind of just a mountain full of ogreish beasts uh, who aren't very smart, but they all worship her. And they all are also there to kind of do her bidding. Uh, they're not very competent, but they're they're useful as muscle. Um, they they restrain Prince Philip when he needs to get captured, and they just kind of are there to, um, yeah, function as her muscle. And I think that's one of the things that makes her really cool is like even though she wields infinite power, like she really has such total command of so many um, people and so many things that she doesn't even really need to wield it. Like she's just right. captured the the hearts and minds and the fear of so many creatures that, yeah, they can she can essentially just sit on her throne and relax while they do all the work for her. Right. I will say I don't know how much bearing this will have on scoring. All those hench people have the worst skin. They look terrible. None of them do skincare. I can tell. Yeah, they're pretty gross. <laughs> they're pretty na. That's a pretty nasty bunch of boys. If ever I saw them. Dirty boys for sure. Dirty boys all the way. For sure. Uh, Cody, talk to me about Jafar's own dirty boys. Let me tell you about <clears throat> Jafar's dirty boys. All right. Um, look, I, I don't Brent think Ianko would be very happy being referred to as a dirty boy. Uh, <laughs> but maybe he'd prefer it to choking down a, a cracker. Here's the thing. <laughs> uh, Jafar also has a couple different layo- layers of henchmen. So first off, he's obviously got Iago, um, right. who is kind of his... Uh, sort of his point man, Iago effectively steals the lamp and brings it to Jafar, solidifying his endgame. So Iago is, is pretty good at, at coming in clutch when needed. I think for an entertainment value, Iago also provides a lot of a lot of you know kind of spice and and flavor to the interactions there. So that's pretty fun. Um, he can also talk. That's that's really cool. That's like a whole movie in and of itself. Uh, I love that Gilbert Gottfried is Iago. Yeah. Because for some reason that makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. And just to pay some respect to Iago for a second, you know, he is a yeah. parrot. But, you know, cross-species wise, we see pretty clearly that that flamingos are sexually attracted to him. And so I just feel like, I think, Man. I think here's <laughs> the thing, Jafar's rolling deep with good talent is all that I'd say, right? So you, so you have Iago. I hate that. (laughs) Here's also what we're going to talk about, right? Is that the Sultan's guards kind of appear to be more loyal to Jafar than they are to the Sultan. I would present exhibit A is that after Prince Ali comes in and kind of wins the the hearts and minds of the townspeople and certainly the Sultan um, and eventually Jasmine, you know, right. Jafar is not feeling it, but Sultan's like, no, 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 this this guy's cool. He's great. Let's let's let him and Jasmine go talk. He brought like elephants and shit. He brought elephants. That's pretty cool. Um, and so Aladdin goes on the date with Jasmine, but when he leaves, the guards grab him and throw him to his death, to what would be his death. And I gotta say, like that could not have been condoned by the Sultan, who two minutes ago was like, ah, good song. So I think Jafar again has this like has the this power, this sort of more magical talking bird power. But also 
He's got political power. I think if the end game didn't play out with him going full on psycho, I think we might have had a civil war on our hands. I think the Sultan needs to keep his house in order. I have a question. Do you think that the Sultan and like would have been more I I don't know what the word maybe more willing to give over Jasmine to Jafar if he had had a fun intro song? Oh, I mean, yeah, I do think that like having some pizzazz for life is is obviously good. He he does though the one time that he like effectively there's like there's like one or two times he effectively breaks out of Jafar's mind control, and one of them is to say, "But you're so old," which like <laughs> that hurts. Yeah, well, we're we're late twenties, early thirties, like tough hit. Like we don't you don't like to hear that. To <laughs> you don't any. love to hear um, that at all. Uh, but you know, I do think a song and dance could have gone a long way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. I'm ready to make my ruling. Uh, I think with this one for Maleficent, I think Diablo carries the team, which is tough because he's just one little bird. Um, but I think he really does some good work. I think that those little like ogrey guys, like she almost doesn't see, you know, they almost don't seem to give her the edge that she needs. Like she doesn't fully use them or like she, she, you just need like 40 of them to do like one task, you know? So I think I'm going to give them a 7 out of 10 for hench people there for Maleficent just because those guys I trust a little less. But Diablo really, he's carrying the team. He's hes really coming through. Uh, Jafar, I would say, yeah, you really got me with that argument there of the that he really got the palace guards on his side too. Um, I think I'll give that one a 9 out of 10 for Jafar. He's really got some boys in his corner. And they're beefy boys, you know? They're beef boys, and they all have swords. They have to remember, they have to be reminded occasionally, but they do all have swords. They do have swords. The monkey's got a sword, too. You (laughs) idiot. We all have swords. In the movie, is like, there's a split second when that, when, you know, main guard is yelling, you idiot, we all have swords. And it's like, it's just halfway through, like, when he's saying you and pulling out the sword. His eyes do just something absolutely deranged, and it's beautiful. So if anyone's watching, go check that out. Make sure you check that out, folks. That's that's an insider tip you only get on this podcast. Um, let's talk goals. You know, like let's talk missions and life values. Uh, what's the end game for the villains? What would happen if they achieved the goal? Is it truly an evil pursuit? And that's what I love to focus on. Is it actually evil what they're trying to get done? Um, so, Cody, you want to start us off here? Yeah, yeah sorry, I'm recovering. I found the image that I was thinking of. I'll send it to you guys later. It's, I'm good. It's I'm so, glad. It's so deranged. I'm so, glad you're Googling things. I'll post it on our Instagram, folks. I'm Pay attention. I'm, I'm mentally here. I'm mentally here. Um, Listen, I love it. Okay, so here's what I love. Aladdin starts out, we get treated to a prologue of Jafar. It's this kind of dark and creepy night. Jafar is a dark and creepy dude. That sounds that sounds vaguely racial, and that's like not what I mean. Um, so let's, let's back off of that a little bit. Jafar is creepy because of his intentions. Right. Um, anyway, so recovering from that is uh, Jafar's goal that he, is, he has been working on for like years already is to find the cave of wonders i think and inside he knows that there is a lamp that if you rub it a genie 
comes out of it. And he wants the power that the genius three wishes bring. Um, so I think Jafar's end goal is, is power. And I think, I think he achieves that on a lot of levels. I think he is ultimately tricked in the end, but like, man, Aladdin gets cast out of Agrabah. Um, when he comes back, it already looks like some post-apocalyptic Zack Snyder Justice League nightmare sequence where everything has gone horribly wrong. And how did he do that so fast? You know, and like the color, the color grade has changed. Everything's like this kind of deep red, and it's all, mm -hmm. like, oh, it's all coming to the end. So I think Jafar briefly turns Agrabah into a post-apocalyptic wasteland with him as the sole ruler. Um, yes, you do. I, I gotta say, like, you, 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 you fly too close to the sun, whatever, but, like, for a brief moment, you know, the candle that burns brightest burns half as long. And I, I feel like that little boy, he, he, he went out swinging, you know what I'm saying? Totally. Yeah. I feel it. Yeah. Uh, Ian, let's talk about my girl Mal. Let's talk about her deal. What's her deal? Yeah, so I think what makes uh, her goals, her her villainous goals really unique is that she's like not, she's not like other Disney villains in that most of them are kind of driven by, you know, something like vanity or power or greed or, right. you know, they, they want to get something. Maleficent doesn't need to get anything. She already has it. She's already the ruler of her own domain. Um, she already basically has infinite power. Like, there's really nothing that she needs to obtain. So I think the next logical... The, the next step up from that is, like, you have everything, what do you do? You, you're, you're the ultimate queen bitch of the universe, or you, you got your own evil mountain, and, you know, she could very easily probably just destroy the entire kingdom if she wanted to. But she keeps them around, I think, because it's just fun to torture them. And effectively, mm. That's her entire end game is just to ruin two people's lives just because it's fun to do that and to to torture the kingdom and so, malice for malice's sake. Yeah, and I think that yeah, like despite having almost infinite power, her goals are so infinite. They're like so in. They're pretty small scale, but they're also very like it's such a twist of the knife. Like she she structures her plans in such a way to like maximize their poetic pain like mm -hmm. you know we we the she initially plans to um have princess aurora die after 16 years of the kingdom getting to know and love her and allowing her to kind of reach the peak of her beauty and then she's going to uh take take all of that away from them and that's so rude cast that's so rude there. and when that doesn't quite go according to plan she adjusts it so um Prince Philip and Aurora fall in love, and then she kind of revises the plan to um, keep her asleep until um, Philip is super old, and Aurora is still uh, in an ageless sleep, so she's going to stay 16 forever, and only when he is like old and gray and on the verge of death is she going to allow him the opportunity to kiss her and wake her up, but mm. only at that one moment where they can't be together, so... Really, she is just perfect at just maximizing the the pain in the way that she tortures people. And you get the right. sense she does it not because she needs to, but just because it's fun. Like, there's really not a need to do anything. It's all just for the pure pleasure of it. And I think that's what makes her great. Is it's 
It's she does it because she wants to, not because she has to, and because yeah. it's. I love that, man. This is like a conversation we had around the evil queen last time. That it was like she was out there really like doing the most because of vanity. And this sort of falls in that same bucket for me of like, that's so evil that like, you really don't even have to be evil. And she's just like, I'm gonna be out here just ruining lives for fun. Damn. Okay, I'm ready to make my ruling on that one then. I'm gonna give Maleficent. Um, honestly, this was not how I thought this round was gonna go for sure. But Ian, you really convinced me of that argument there. I'm gonna give her a nine for that because that's like... Evil for evil's sake is, like, really bold, and I love that. Uh, Cody, I like your argument, too, but at the end of the day, you know, it's it's political unrest, and I have that. We have that everywhere, you know? <laughs> so I'm going to give him a 7 out of 10 for that evil pursuit. You know, maybe if it was world domination, we could talk. Right. Uh, and so things right now, I believe, yep, we're all tied up right now, which takes us to the final round, which is the face off, face to face. So if I were to take Maleficent and Jafar and drop them in an arena in a head to head battle, who would win? How would they win? Plead your case for me here. This is going to be our deciding factor. So I'm I'm gonna say like in order for this to even be a fair contest, Jafar needs the handicap of like being in sorcerer mode. Like he'll he'll need like that second wish because otherwise he's just totally decimated. Like pre um getting that enchantment by the genie, he's basically just a guy with a staff that can hypnotize people and he's exceptionally clever, but that's it. Um Maleficent can control the weather, summon flames, um and I'm assuming like this is just like a one-on-one -on -one fight, so henchmen aren't really. Right. Yeah, she can effectively like the weather is under her power. She can conjure matter out of nothing. She can, you know, cast spells that basically cause instant death. Like again, the only real limit to her power is her imagination and just kind of what she feels like doing at that point. And also, she can shapeshift and turn into a giant fire-breathing dragon and just kind of eat them instantly. So there's this that. is what I'm. I'm curious about if we put Maleficent in dragon form and Jafar in snake form in this arena too. I would love to talk that one out too, but I'll let Cody respond with his points first. I mean, I think it, that's a real Godzilla versus Kong situation. You know, <laughs> you got Jafar in his massive snake form, and you have Maleficent, Maleficent in her massive dragon form. Here's here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. Even I think Maleficent is. If you took Maleficent at the start of the film, and Maleficent and Jafar at the start of the film, she is more powerful on a raw scale. But I also want to look at a couple things, right? Jafar's hungry, right? He's hungry. He's scrappy. He's using all his resources. He's using all his time. Clearly, I think she comes out looking good. She takes care of her skin. She takes care of... She looks good. Jafar does not look that good, but that's okay. He's getting up at 5 a.m. to so civil on <laughs> Is that. your argument that because he's uglier, he's a better fighter? <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm demonstrating that I think he's hungry, right? He's willing to do something. She's kind of, she's complacent. And I think like any boxer will tell you, right? Any, any fighter will tell you when you, when you get that heavyweight championship title, when you're there and you, and no one stepped to you for a while, you get complacent. That's, that's mm. the time when you should worry Jafar 
is rising up through the ranks of villainy. You know what I mean? He's he's throwing haymakers and he's going, I'm, I'm unpredictable. Here's the thing I want to talk about, though, is that Maleficent, at her most powerful at the end, is taken out by a dude with a sword that was imbued with some pretty good properties, I guess, by the fairies. But, like, right. it's mostly 1v1. It's her versus the prince, and he ultimately kills her, which I don't know how much it speaks to her ultimate dragon form. It seems, that seems like a tough hit on her, that it just takes him. And, you know, Jafar, I feel like coming against him in his big snake form, we got Aladdin, Spry, Youthful. I think you could say Aladdin and the Prince are comparable, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of their physical prowess. You sure. have Aladdin, you also have Jasmine, right? She's also trying to grab the lamp. You also have Abu. He's a quick little devil trying to grab the lamp. It's, you know, I feel like it's tough to say when you got those three people struggling to defeat Jafar versus the one person who succeeds, right? Because they don't even physically defeat the Jafar. It's it's all mental. They just go, you know what? Here's a Hail Mary, God help us all. I you know, I, I think Jafar's a scrapper. That's what I'm gonna say. A scrapper. Yeah. I wanna dig into let's say we get them both at their kind of end game of the film. So we've got Dragon Maleficent versus like I'll I'll give you Sorcerer Jafar. And he can be snake or not snake, whatever you want to do. What is the wish that he made to become the the sorcerer? Was it the most The most powerful sorcerer in the world? Oh see that's that's where I'm stuck a little bit, is how does she beat that? Uh I mean I really honestly think at that stage it's a fifty fifty fight. It all just comes mm. down to um It's a coin who, toss. It's a coin toss. Like it all just comes down to uh you know, how creative and how creative each of them can be with their powers. And even that's a pretty 50-50. But I, I really think that as far as what's demonstrated in the movies, Maleficent's powers have a little bit more versatility. Like mm-hmm. she, again, can conjure, you know, inst- like she, she conjures like an instant death spindle out of nothing. Like if she mm-hmm. wanted to, she could just like make a thumbtack pop up from the from the floor that could kill him instantly. Like she right. can kill insta-death onto something if she wants to. I think that... Right. You know, her turning into a dragon is more of a theatrical display of power than like, you know, you push me to my limits and this is as far as I can go. I think that that right. would be the screwed at him rather than, yeah. I think that's fair, but I, I would also say that, you know, in the moment, it's not just about raw power. It's about a fighter's judgment. You know, they throw the left hook, they throw the right hook. So I do, I think you're right that the dragon is a little theatrical, but I also think maybe it was a bit of a miscalculation on her part you know, to, to throw the left hook when she should have gone for the right haymaker. But that's, right. You, know, you know, fighting's a mental game, too. Yeah, making herself a bigger target definitely didn't do her any favor. But <laughs> I have to admit that not only, so it, like, it was a twice magically enhanced sword. Like, it was a sword that was conjured up by magic for the specific goal of, you know, slaying her. And then it was also imbued with power again that like and that's what it needed in order to like even penetrate her and even then she was still kind of kicking until that cliff gave out and she fell to her death so it was it, it was more than just getting stabbed it took quite a bit of uh of firepower to take her down right all right i'm ready i think i've got it this was a tough one well fought gentlemen by the way um but i think 
I think Ian's right. There is that half one to one, like 50 50. It could go either way. Like it would be a real nail biter of a match. But I do think that one of them wants it a little bit more. And I think that means that I have to declare if this mashup, matchup, not mashup, that would be weird. This matchup's winner is Jafar. Narrow. It was narrow, though. Um, so that means, Cody, we'll see you again in the next round of brackets, and uh, format will be a little bit different then, but we'll get to see you again. Ian, well fought. Well fought. I just feel like when you've been sitting still too long, your reflexes just aren't so sharp anymore. You defeated me. Like, me, yeah. the mistress of all evil. <laughs> it's uh, It was well fought, though, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Cody and Ian, for being here. We really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Thank you to Partyfish Media for having us on the network and uh, Christopher Bjarke for that beautiful intro-outro music. It slaps. Find him on SoundCloud. Um, and with all that said, uh, until next time, keep it vile, keep it dastardly, and most importantly, come back next time to find out who will be the most fiendish of them all. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>Fish Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.